Dear Elizabeth, are we Dear Elizabeth, about two miles out in the rocky Dear Elizabeth, Dear Elizabeth, Dear Elizabeth. Welcome to Dear Elizabeth, a serial podcast about E. Lucy and Annette Brown, the sister scientists who earned the first and third PhDs granted to women by the University of Cincinnati. The podcast is told through their letters to their friend and fellow scientist, Mary Elizabeth Brockschlager. Brockschlager, who was known by her middle name as Elizabeth, was a full-time public school teacher for elementary and middle school children and an active scientist in Cincinnati. She left her papers, including dozens of letters from her groundbreaking mentors, to the Lloyd Library and Museum. I'm Elissa Yancey, a journalist and nature nerd who loves sharing stories about brilliant women whose contributions too often are relegated to history's sidebars. Brilliant women like Elizabeth, Lucy, and Annette, all of whom graduated from the same university that I did, and none of whom I had ever heard of until just a few years ago. It was only by chance that I learned about Lucy and Annette at all. When I was teaching journalism at the University of Cincinnati, I was at a meeting with biology faculty. It was around 2014. And as we chatted about exhibit-worthy research about the college's history in the sciences, a colleague mentioned Lucy Brown as a legend in the field of plant ecology. Who's that, I asked, and every head in the room turned to look at me in disbelief. Scientists, I've learned, often keep the best stories for themselves, not out of spite or selfishness, but because they can't imagine everyone else doesn't already know what they consider fundamental to understanding the world. By the time I left that meeting, I was both inspired and frustrated. How was it that I, who'd been a student and faculty member at the university, knew so little about its earliest women graduates? I felt ripped off that no one had told me about Lucy Brown, a beloved professor and prolific researcher who published a seminal book about forests in the eastern United States way back in 1950, and that book is still the Bible for botanists today. I felt angry that I'd never heard a word about Lucy's older sister, Annette, who'd also taught at the public university and was the very first woman to receive a Ph.D. from it. She earned her degree in 1911 the same year that a study in the journal Science reported that of the nearly 8,000 faculty members of co-ed colleges, only 9% were women. Only three women in science were full professors, and you could probably guess the subject they taught, home economics. Lucy earned her Ph.D. in botany in 1914. Margaret Rossiter in a great book called Women Scientists in America, Struggles and Strategies to 1940, women scientists in 19th century America were a contradiction in terms. Quote, such a person was unlikely to exist, and if she did, she had to be unnatural in some way. As scientists, they were atypical women, and as women, they were unusual scientists. Unquote. Botany, though, had been a mostly safe refuge for science-minded women. In fact, botany and zoology were the two top fields for women scientists before 1920, although women had had some success in astronomy in the 1800s and early 1900s. As sisters, 
Lucy and Annette were able to overcome obstacles faced by other single women in science because they had each other. They traveled more than 65,000 miles by train, by horse-drawn carts, and, after Lucy got her driver's license in 1930, by car. They crisscrossed the United States and Canada to research the natural world. They documented species of plants and insects and their relation to one another, as well as the surrounding geography and geology. Their early work in nature conservation helped attract the Nature Conservancy to open a field office in Cincinnati in the 1970s. The more I learned, the more fascinated I became. The two pioneering sisters dedicated their lives to research in their respective fields, Lucy in botany and Annette in entomology. They were revered by followers around the world. While Lucy is the better known of the sisters, Annette described and named more than 300 North American moth species, or more than one in 40 of all the species that have been described to date. Yet, in the city of their birth, they remain well known only via a network of life scientists and naturalists, with bits and pieces of their discoveries and adventures dropped in tantalizing asides and hidden in research collections across the country. I continued my quest to better understand and document these adventurous women and their work. First, I researched in the university's archives and rare books, poring over course lists and yearbooks from the early 1900s. I reserved time at the Cincinnati Museum Center archives to read through Annette and Lucy's collections. I traveled to the farmhouse that had been their home, interviewed their surviving colleagues and many more modern scientists inspired by their work. I traveled to the New York Botanical Gardens Library, where I uncovered artifacts from Lucy and tapped into a network of Botanical Garden Library staff who tracked down even more references to Lucy and Annette in their stacks. When I learned that Elizabeth Brockschlager had left her papers to the Lloyd Library and Museum in downtown Cincinnati, I was hopeful. The local conservationists I had interviewed about Lucy and Annette all knew of Elizabeth, who died in 1991. They told me that she often house-sat for her mentors when they traveled on their field research trips. What I already knew was that when the sisters traveled, they wrote letters, lots and lots of letters, often meticulously documenting their long hikes and rained-out days, logging their visits with colleagues and their daily miles traveled. So, I knew that if Elizabeth was checking in or staying at Lucy and Annette's home in Mount Washington, that meant they had to have sent her dozens, if not hundreds, of letters. Letters that only Elizabeth had seen. Teacher, expert botanist, and field scientist Elizabeth Brockschlager followed closely in the footsteps of her scientific mentors. Not only did she dedicate her life to learning about, teaching about, and conserving nature, she also faced the same dreaded triple whammy that dooms countless women to historical indifference. First, the very fact she was a woman in a world of history books written by and about men. Second, she was a woman scientist in the early 20th century, when access to classes for advanced degrees was limited in most co-ed universities. Third, and perhaps not unrelated to her single-minded focus, Elizabeth, like Lucy and Annette Brown before her, never married. 
While by all accounts they lived very happy and full lives, none of them had a spouse or children anxious to share their stories with the world, or even keep all of their notes, journals, photos, and studies organized and in a single location. While their singleness and single-mindedness was helpful in many ways to their scientific pursuits, it added to the challenges in tracking down their stories. Discovering the treasure trove of letters from the Browns and Elizabeth's collection at the Lloyd not only brought many of those stories to life, it also helped me better understand how their different worlds of research intersected, and how in their work and in their daily lives, they supported one another. This four-part serial offers glimpses into the lives of these single-minded women as framed by letters from Annette and Lucy to their dear Elizabeth. Elizabeth was born in 1899 in Vive, Indiana, just 55 miles west of Cincinnati, Ohio. She moved to Cincinnati to teach and remained a public school teacher for more than 40 years while we know Elizabeth earned a bachelor's in science education from the University of Cincinnati in 1928, we don't know exactly how she first met Lucy and Annette Brown. Maybe, like dozens of other students who sat in on one of Lucy's botany classes, she was enchanted by the rare female professor's passion for plants. Course catalogs that date back to 1913 list courses designed for working teachers that both Annette and Lucy often taught. For example, Annette taught a beginner's course for teachers called Insect Life, in which, through field trips and lectures, she explained, quote, life histories of insects of importance and their relationship to man, unquote. Lucy taught a plant biology lecture and lab designed specifically for teachers and began co-teaching a class I wish I could have taken, City Botany, which included two field trips and one lecture per week and was popular with teachers, who could easily take their lessons back to their young students to help them gain an appreciation of nature, too. Elizabeth aspired to advanced studies in botany and made it through one semester at Cornell University before her academic plans were cut short. Her mother broke her hip, and Elizabeth, a devout Catholic and loyal daughter, returned to the Midwest and her work with the Browns. She never stopped learning about the natural world, whether she was photographing species for Lucy during their many research trips to Adams County, Ohio, or working alongside other conservationists to protect endangered areas in nature. I've spent much of the last four years piecing together bits of the stories of these singular women scientists from Cincinnati, and I'm so grateful that my 2020 research fellowship at the Lloyd Library, dedicated to reviewing and studying the Elizabeth Brockschleicher collection, allowed me to continue that work. But 2020 was, well, 2020, so my original fellowship plans needed some adapting. It turns out that even through the constraints of COVID-19, I was able to safely spend carefully planned time in isolation with letters sent to and saved by Elizabeth, along with a host of her papers and notebooks. 
Time and again, I was struck by the series of letters that Lucy and Annette Brown sent to her from their trips to the West, especially when I realized that one set of the letters mixed in with the collection documented the Brown's final research trip to the Western United States in 1963. That meant Annette was 79, nearing her 80th birthday. Lucy, the driver, was 75. In Dear Elizabeth, I'll share highlights from their 1963 trip to the West, using Lucy and Annette's own words. I've recruited the amazing biologist and academic Dr. Teresa Cully to voice Lucy's words in these episodes. Cully, who currently serves as the head of the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Cincinnati, has encountered a number of Brown sister artifacts in her time at the university. She is also descended, academically speaking, from a line of researchers inspired by Lucy. Having her read Lucy's words is a real treat. When it came to voicing Annette, the quieter of the Brown sisters, Anita Buck was a natural choice. The Cincinnati-based writer and editor has written extensively about the Browns, beginning more than 30 years ago, and including a history of the edge of Appalachia. With as many important research findings and conservation successes that Lucy, Annette, and Elizabeth contributed to the world, I'm excited to be able to extend their legacy in this podcast. There will be an accompanying digital home, so you can explore the original letters and follow links online, all thanks to the dedication of the leadership of the Lloyd Library and Museum staff. I hope you'll join me on this journey of discovery and enjoy finding out more about these single-minded women whose work continues to benefit us all. Thank you for listening to Dear Elizabeth, a serial podcast brought to you by the Lloyd Library and Museum in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. This series is part of the Lloyd Research Fellowship and was conceived and produced by Lloyd Fellow Elissa Yancey. Sound design and mixing by Ohio native Ryan McClendon. Our special thanks to Dr. Teresa Cully, who voices Lucy Brown's letters, and Anita Buck, who voices Annette Brown's letters. For more information about the series and the collection that inspired it, please visit the Lloyd at lloydlibrary.org. 